Alright, BizzleCast listeners, welcome to Bizzle's Daily Rebels, where I drop a commentary for an episode of Star Wars Rebels each day. If you want to hear more about how all of this works and where it came from, you should go to the first episode. Otherwise, I'm going to have you queue up the episode and count us into it. I always advise people to put subtitles on, maybe some ambient sound so you can hear a little bit of the music and uh, sound effects. I'm going to count us down three to one, and when I say go, you should hit play, and it will align perfectly with the episode. So thank you so much for listening. Get your media files, DVDs, Blu-rays queued up to the beginning, and I'm about to count us down. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Alright, Bizzlecasters, welcome to Star Wars Rebels Season 1, Gathering Forces, the uh, sequel to Empire Day, the search for Ezra Bridger's parents, and unraveling the mystery of the Rodian known as Zebo. Here's the Inquisitor, hot on their tails as usual. The bad news is... This doesn't resolve Ezra's obsession with his finding his dead parents, which I was hoping it would when I first saw him. The good news is, it turns out that he only gets particularly whiny and selfish when it comes to his parents. Even though he does follow another lead in Season 2 and find out a little bit more about when and how they died, and it just makes it sadder, because it's much more recent than he, th- than he thought. That's more of an obsession with a, with a vision, and, you know, sort of just false hope. The bursting out at Zebo here it is really the last, uh, like, throws, if you will, <laughs> of of extreme immaturity. Let's just put it that way. And there is a great moment late in this where through the psychic connection of the Force, he's able to communicate to Zebo that he forgives him, and that's what allows Ezra to control all all the beasts in the cave and ultimately, you know, save their asses and Almost take down the Inquisitor with the with the with the King of the Monsters, even though he ends up tapping into the dark side. So he goes from forgiveness to almost the dark side in just a couple seconds. Ezra's jumping to a lot of conclusions about what Zebo is able to do, and his his uh, shipmates try to get him to understand that. Going, you know, they all know what it means to go up against the Empire. He probably would have failed, and he probably would have gotten killed. In fact, there's almost a guarantee that he would have failed to get killed. I also don't like that his parents were the head of the resistance on on Lothal. I understand why they do that to lock in his desire to go 100 for the rebellion, but they could have been resistance members who died a quote-unquote meaningless death uh, is is sadder and, and but more effective. I like that he was a pure or- orphan. I like the idea that they were just, you know, randoms, that they might just be random civilians killed at a, uh, you know, concentration camp or whatever. And it turns out that, you know, everybody but Kanan 
essentially comes from royalty. You know, Zeb is a captain of the guard and a key, a myst, you know, mystical key to their new planet. Hera's father is one of the leaders on Ryloth of the Twi'leks. It looks like Sabine is going to inherit the, the throne of Mandalore, and now, you know, Ezra's parents turn out to be very important in the Resistance. Now, you know, they're not royalty or anything. They led by example, and it does explain where, you know, how Ezra turned from being a thieving street rat to a morally upright leader of the Resistance in such a short amount of time as a kid. So in that sense, I'm okay with it, but there's other ways they could sell that, but I'll let it lie for now. In the grand scheme of things, the, you know, as usual, the character development's the most important thing. And so I'll go along with some uh, choices that I might not have made. And again, you have to remember, a lot, you know, this is aimed towards children, you know, with an eye towards their parents and, and other adults. The parental relationships, as I always talk about, are such an important part of Star Wars. And I generally like that, and I defend it. You know, people get sick of the, my father, my father, my father. I like that it's both of his parents, not just daddy issues, um, and that Hera is a mother figure as much or more than (laughs) Kanan's a father figure. (laughs) Kanan's just trying to get a pulse on the road here. That's great. Kanan's so practical. That's what makes him a a, a cowboy or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, he's putting his head in the sand, so to speak, is Ezra. Uh, he's not just a cowboy because he's an outlaw, you know, and he shoots from the hip. That's both true, but it's because, um, he's just, you know, almost cripplingly practical. And that's why the idealism of Ezra and Hera combined is exactly what he needs. You know, he, he saw the Jedi potential in Ezra, but... Hera saw the leadership and moral and ethical potential. And, you know, that's why I think she realized that he wasn't just important to the crew and the cause. He was important to to reviving Kanan and bringing him back fully to the light. Which, of course, he does. Oh, the XX-23 Tracer. It was a little too easy to track the ship. They're constantly tracking ships in Star Wars. <laughs> I love that when they restart Chopper, he just goes into full psychosis murder mode. <laughs> um, his manipulators, as they call him, is his hands and arms, set him apart from R2 and BB-8 and so forth, and allow him to do so much expression. In the credits at the end, it says BB-8, uh, it says Chopper is played by himself. Oh, right. It's good they have the smart Rodian with the Imperial uh, knowledge. Why he just realized that now is interesting. And it is a cool twist that it landed, you know, the the, the uh, Inquisitor couldn't have necessarily known or thought it mattered that it landed on the, the Phantom as opposed to the, the ship itself. So this is the beginning of Kanan realizing that just like Luke was a danger to the mission to Endor and Return of the Jedi because Vader could sense him, they're a danger to the crew as long as the, the Sith are out there because the Sith can sense them 
Yes, they can track the ship with electronic means, as we see here, but if they're not being actively tracked, they're essentially, you know, ghosts, <laughs> uh, so to speak. Force, you, you know, those force-sensitive people are, uh, are, are subject to detection. They set it up in season one, but all of season two with Ahsoka is about how, you know, we can't beat these guys in straight on combat, but how do we get rid of this threat? Because our friends need us to win the war, but if we're with our friends, then no secret base is safe because the Sith can detect us, and everywhere they go, the Sith are there. And that's always a great mechanism, you know. People mock J.J. Abrams' mystery box about, you know, starting a mystery and not completing it, but it's the thinking through of the mystery that's what's satisfying. It doesn't really matter, because whatever... Because if the resolution... If there is a resolution to a given mystery, like Ray's parents, right? So say it's Luke Skywalker or is Ray's dad, or, or you know, Leia and Han. I like how Kanan is constantly, almost like a therapist, monitoring the emotions of Ezra, which is something that Obi-Wan and Yoda completely failed to do with Anakin. They were so blind to how emotional he was. Kanan does such an excellent job of heading it off at the pass before things go crazy, and he gets better and better at it. It's only when Kanan drops out of the picture briefly in Season 3 that Ezra goes kind of nutso, and then as soon as Kanan comes back... Ezra retains his center. This is really cool. Disconnecting in hyperspace. So this effect we're about to see here with the rainbow colors, we're going to see again when we see interdictor ships in Season 3 with Thrawn, which prevent them from jumping into hyperspace and trap them. It's an awesome effect. Uh, sort of contact-ish. Uh, the con Jodie Foster contact movie when she's going through the various wormholes. But yeah, that never really occurred to me. The, just both the recognition and the management of emotions, good and bad, with Ezra is is maybe is I think definitely Kanan's greatest strength. And as I mentioned in an earlier episode, you know Ezra acknowledges that by talking about you know the most important thing Kanan taught him has nothing to do with. Uh, uh, Jedi training, but with life and with being a good person. Yeah, that that guy's gonna get murder murderized, I think, by uh by the Inquisitor at the behest of, of Moff Tarkin. Does Tarkin come in this episode? No, I think it's a few more episodes. But anyways, the mystery box thing. What's great is in Battlestar Galactica, the whole first season they keep coming up with various ways that the Cylons, and maybe even in through the second season, that the Cylons find them. Actually, into the third season with New Caprica, where they think they found a safe haven that's like so surrounded, planet's so surrounded by radiation they'll never be found, but a sleeper Cylon, a sleeper six, Trisha Helfer, Model 6, blows a nuclear explosion in the fleet, not only killing thousands of people, but signaling to the Cylons where they are. They keep finding ways to, to track down the humans. It's, uh, you know, it, it taps into 
whether it's real life, you know, the Nazis hunting down Jews, you know, hiding in basements. I think opening scene of Inglorious Bastards is horrifying. It also taps into, you know, the Dark Riders, the Ring Race, looking for Frodo and the Hobbits in the Ring and, and Lord of the Rings. I'm going to be talking about Lord of the Rings a lot. I, I might be, ma- I might have been making those comparisons anyways. I, I don't know when, you know, sometimes I forget when I find out what, but I know that Filoni's a giant, Dave Filoni, the executive producer, is a ginormous Lord of the Rings fan. Has openly said he steals thematic things from it. He has no shame about it, nor should he. I missed the part where Ezra's like, why the fuck are we practicing here? Uh, kid, it's like, you know, because the, the only way you learn kid is by trying to survive. But still, Kanan has to walk him through it. So Kanan holds him off, but doesn't control him. And it's all about the emotional breakthrough. There's another time, too, I think, when he's got a lightsaber, and he's trying to deflect laser shots. And he's completely failing. And then he taps into some emotional memory, and all of a sudden he becomes like, you know, full-on Obi-Wan Kenobi or whatever. I'm sorry. Right, here's here's the four sound of one of the four sound effects. No doubt that he communicated directly to I wanna say Greedo, to Zebo. Kanan knows it. I don't know I think Ezra's probably too focused to have heard the response from Zebo, even if he could. And uh Ezra uses this, this ability to great effect throughout the series. Um. Oh, Fulcrum. Hmm. Okay. So, does she know who Fulcrum is? Does she know it's Ahsoka? I think, uh. I, I think Hera and Kanan know it's Ahsoka, but maybe they've even compartmentalized themselves. So, they pass. Him off to the rebellion, essentially. Ezra Bridger. So okay, so Ezra is a is a Hebrew name. Ezra was a prophet in the later prophets in the uh, quote unquote Old Testament in the Tanakh, you know, the Jewish Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, in, in the in the various books of prophets. The prophet Ezra Bridger it can certainly be a Jewish last name, so he sounds Jewish, although he's got Middle Eastern looking parents. Canaan, of course, although spelled differently, and there's various pronunciations. The proper pronunciation of the ancient land of Israel Israel is Canaan, but the common English pronunciation, especially by non-Jews, is Canaan. So, So that's the promised land. Ezra is the prophet. Not very subtle. Hera, of course, was the primary wife of Zeus. You know, it's hard to know. I mean, Filoni doesn't just work for Lucasfilm. He is a disciple of Lucas. He's been with Lucas since the prequel days, I believe. I'll look that up before the next episode. But, you know, he did all the Clone Wars. He was in Lucasfilm before that. And so he is a full-on believer in the whole archetypal Joseph Campbell ring theory stuff. Mythology. So... 
It's hard to know when they're just using mythological terms and names just for the power of the names, whether there's meaning behind it, whether there's a purpose, or whether they're tapping into it unconsciously. You know, he might have just woken up one day and been like, Ezra Bridger. Uh, Bridger, also Bridge. So is Ezra the bridge from, you know, the prequels to the the original trilogy? From the, you know, dark side to the light side? Is he going to be the, the bridge in the middle? Kanan's original name, of course, is Caleb Doom. Now, Doom is spelled D-U-M-E if you read the books, but it's still Doom. And Caleb uh, was, of course, the one scout uh, as the Jews 40 years in the desert. This is one, I think the first major lightsaber, lightsaber battle and the force powers and everything is pretty good. Um, some people don't like the, the ultra sharp, fast lightsaber battles of, of uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, but I, I quite like it. I don't want it to look like the movies where things are, are, are much slower. And it's all about the sound, anyways, and the dialogue that happens in between. But Caleb, you know, in in the Bible, was the one scout who wasn't scared wasn't scared of all the people of Canaan or Canaan, as they left being slaves in Egypt. They still had the slave mentality. So you know, he 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 was the one who told uh, Joshua, who took over from Moses, who was forbidden from entering the land of Israel for reasons I won't go into here. Has to do with hitting a rock, among other things. Uh, and Joshua says, "Well, that's that's good enough for me." You know, they went on to slaughter all the people, <laughs> the six nations or whoever that lived in the in the land of Israel to begin there thousand to fifteen hundred year uh, rule of ancient Palestine. So, okay, there, there's there's some stuff wrong with with this in a way. He says Ezra, no, Ezra's looking a little dark sidey. This is just the king of the creatures. I mean, the creatures are scared of him too, but he's clearly from the same species. And it's the only way to stop the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor does take him out, or at least drive him back, but Kanan's a dead man without it. And so, this is the typical, you know, this is the one conceit of, you know, Marvel and Star Wars, is that they have to find ways of killing or turning back bad guys. Uh, or I should say, uh, turning back bad guys without killing them, because they don't want to make the heroes murderers. And that's why, in you know, end of season uh, two, Maul's the one who ends up taking out the Inquisitors for the most part. Ahsoka clearly didn't kill, doesn't kill Darth Vader during that extended series of battles either. But uh, would she have? I don't know. She's not a Jedi. She's you know, she's in the middle. Or so she says. Some people might say, well, it's unfair that it's not only is a two-sided lightsaber, but it spins around, you know. It's like a, uh, a giant death fan, you know, and they can fly and all this stuff, but 
I think what what it's saying is that they're not actually as powerful as they would like to think. So they need every advantage. So the fact that Kanan, with his normal lightsaber, can defend against all those tricks, plus them being dark side users, which always makes them more powerful to begin with, I think it's uh, it's a cool device. Vader would never lower himself even to a two-sided lightsaber. It's it's so uncivilized. But they're you know they're sort of lower Sith minions of of Vader and the Emperor. So right, he says, "I try to protect you, but your anger and fear cause a giant creature to attack." But what else was Ezra supposed to do? No, he blacks out, which he said, which Kanan says is for the best. Yeah, this is great. Kanan doesn't have to apologize, but he takes responsibility on himself for not teaching him fast enough. I think implying that if Ezra had been taught a little bit more, had more experience, he could have summoned the monster or done something similar without tapping into the dark side, I think. Yeah, Hera's Hera. Yeah, I never doubted. Ezra needs a little time to himself, again, managing his feelings. Yeah, we need to talk. Oh, that's why, and this leads directly into the next episode, which is one of the best episodes of the series. Again, it's a Jedi episode with Kanan and Ezra, the path of the Jedi, when they find a Jedi temple on Lothal, and they both go through a journey. We get the spirit of Master Yoda, we get Frank Oz back with the Yoda voice after all the years. And this is it. This is... This is Sabine. I mean, she's really been trying to reach out to him this whole last couple episodes. It's a beautiful photo of his parents. I mean, they're clearly Middle Eastern. Um, they could be Arab. Of course, you know, Muslims and Arabs share lineage both ethnically, you know, blood-wise, as well as religiously and, and mythologically with Jews. Um, and so he's obviously not a Jew or a Muslim. So, I, I, I like it. I, I like the Ezra Bridger name all around. I like Ezra. He grows, he grows on you over time. He really does. I think, I think you think he's going to be whiny. And so he comes off as whiny because we're so used to the Padawans being whiny. So, thank you so much. May the Force be with you. We'll see you for the Path of the Jedi. And the Bizzle is out.